Should we start with game three or just like work backwards? Uh, maybe with, let's start with game three because I think uh, it's kind of interesting to talk about how the series progressed, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Start at a one-to-one series tie after Miami got that crazy win in Denver and they just couldn't get anything else going after that, so... Yeah, I mean, you said it yourself. Uh, I'll dub game three is the Christian Braun, or shall I say Brown game. Um, Honestly, I feel like he's the reason they pretty much stayed in it the entire time. He had very valuable minutes off the bench. Kind of replaced Michael Porter Jr. there a little bit. You got um, Mike Malone choosing a bench MPJ when he usually plays him in like the actual minutes of the game, not the garbage time. And he came through. He pretty much carried the entire Denver Nuggets on his back. Every time Miami made a run, you got him just coming back. And I feel like the one um, the one play that he did, which is going to stand out for a really long time, is when he pushed Jimmy Butler and shoved him to almost get an N1 on the fast break. Um, Jimmy Butler just kept his poker game face. You know, he didn't really react to it. But the entire Denver bench was just like yelling. It was, is we're talking about a rookie here. We got to remind everybody, right? Like this guy isn't some seasoned vet or like somebody that knows what he's doing. He literally got drafted less than like seven, eight months ago. Like he's been in the league for not long at all. He's barely been there and he's making his name heard. He had 19 minutes and 15 points, whereas Michael Porter Jr. had 21 minutes and two points. MPJ only shot one for seven from the field. He was settling for mostly taking jump shots, even though they weren't threes. He was taking like step back middies and things like that instead of just using his length and trying to get dunks by the rim. Whereas Christian Brown did the exact opposite. He didn't attempt any threes. He just had one three attempt. And he pretty much just got all of his buckets slashing on backdoor cuts from Jokic and uh, Jamal Murray. I feel like Jamal Murray is also going unnoticed. He averaged 10 assists for the entire finals. And he had had 10 assists in every single game up until the last one with only eight. So you had him and Joker kind of switching roles from game to game where you had um, game two where or game three. Yeah, where they both just carried on their back 32 and 34 points. They both had triple doubles, which is the first time in NBA history that two players on the same team have 30 point triple doubles. So that was an amazing accomplishment Mm -hmm. on both of their behalfs. They didn't even shoot badly. They both shot over 50% from both the field and the three-point range. So that goes back to our previous episodes about how we usually talk about Boston superstars not really complementing each other well, whereas these two fit super well with each other. They complement each other's play styles like butter. They're always looking for each other, and then they can both shoot from anywhere, which makes their pick-and-roll action that much more deadly. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, worth noting in game three that, I mean, Jokic and Murray both each had 10 assists, so they were, you know, in a, in some ways they were kind of switching roles game to game, but they were also helping each other out within those games. Um, 
you know, for Murray, you know, I, I think that was huge for him because, you know, he obviously had those 50 pieces in the bubble, but, you know, having a 34-10-10 stat line in an NBA finals is really impressive. And again, it's more impressive by the fact that his teammate also had a 30, 30, 10, 10 stat line. Well, Jokic actually had like 21 rebounds, but yeah, which is absolutely insane. Really insane. Um, and of course that's one other interesting thing. Uh, I think that's a reason why Denver was able to pull away in this game three is they just put in more effort on the boards and ultimately, you know, their size advantage kind of showed. Uh, they finished the game with 65 boards as compared to Miami's 41. You know, so that is a major difference. Huge. Uh, especially when, you know, the game was getting cut to like six, seven, eight points at various points in the third and fourth quarter. But, you know, then Denver would grab those huge offensive boards or, you know, they would box out Miami from, getting second chance points and you know, they would go down and they would score on the other end. I mean, as you mentioned, Christian Brown or Braun had some very impressive minutes. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, he had almost as many as MPJ, which is crazy for a 20 year old rookie. I know in the finals too. Exactly. Like he really showed up, you know, those backdoor cuts worked well. He ended up being seven for eight from the field. Again, mostly off those. So he was super efficient with his scoring. Um, one thing that's interesting about Christian Brown is he actually does have a decent amount of experience with winning titles, just you know, not as a pro. He is a three-time state champion in basketball for his high school team. And then he was also part of that Kansas team that NCAA. won it all in 2021. Yeah. Exactly. So I think Christian Brown sort of brought that same mentality with him to this finals and it translated really well imagine being a 20 year old rookie that has three high school state championships an ncaa championship and actually contributing to an nba championship rather than just being a bench player i think he's one of the most winningest players in nba history at his age exactly this is for a guy who can't even celebrate with the other guys with the champagne at the end of the series. I didn't even think about that. He's 20. Oh my God. Uh You think think they gave him some champagne? Oh, I'm, I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure they definitely would not, or or they definitely, they they definitely would all this to say, I think they're breaking the law because you're a world champion and you can. It's insane. But what a life to have at 20 years old. Hey, Seriously, it's like the American dream. But I mean, in all seriousness, though, Brown's minutes proved to be very valuable, especially on a night where some of the other Nuggets role players really weren't contributing. Mm-hmm. We already talked about MPJ was uh, it was one for seven from the field. KCP was one for four. Bruce Brown was one for five from the field. So, you know, those those 15 points proved very invaluable for the Nuggets and yeah, gotta give my hats off to Christian Brown for sort of being that third guy, basically. Yeah, for that game three behind Jokic and Murray, and for Miami, I mean, that was just it was a rough effort from them. I mean, they're thirty-seven percent from the field. They did oh, they're okay from three, thirty-one percent, but that's yeah. just not going to get done against. Not good the enough against Denver, exactly. You know, and the role players will. Were especially bad. Uh, 
worth noting that when you combine games three through five, Gabe Vincent was six for 29 from the field and one for 14 from three. Yeah, like, honestly, I didn't know. I don't know why Spolzer kept running with him. He had Tyler Hero, as we're going to get into later this episode, in game five or game six. And he just chose to take with Vincent, even though he wasn't giving him proper minutes. It's obvious that Miami's role players slowed down significantly after the Eastern Conference Finals. And just like you said here in game three, it was pretty much like a 2v2, 2K game, for lack of a better analogy. It was essentially Bam and Butler versus Jokic and Murray. You didn't really have many of the other players contributing outside of Christian Brown. Every other player on both teams had a maximum of 11 points. And that's Aaron Gordon, which we're going to talk about later as well, who made his name heard in game four which mm-hmm. is dubbed as the Aaron Gordon game, just like game three is dubbed as the Christian Brown game. And then you also have Bruce Brown showing up in game five. So it's pretty much safe to say that everybody except for the Heat role players showed up at some point throughout this entire series. One thing that that's also interesting about this game three is uh, Miami actually significantly won the turnover battle. They only had four turnovers. Meanwhile, Jamal Murray, who had a great game overall, he actually had seven turnovers seven. of his own. Yeah. And Denver combined for 13. And usually that's not a winning formula. When you lose a turnover battle by almost 10, like you're, you're toast. Yeah, I think the rebounding kind of made up for that because you could have, like, if you watch the game, every time they missed, they got a second chance opportunity. Whereas every time Miami missed, they were pretty much just rushing to get back on defense because they could not grab a board for the life of them, especially offensive rebounds. No, exactly. And then, as you said, the Heat role players really didn't show up. I mean, K Love, two for five from the field, Struce, one for seven. Vincent two for 10. I mean, even Caleb Martin was four for nine from the field, which isn't horrific. But if you think about his shooting in the Eastern Conference finals, that's a massive drop off, like steep cliff type of drop off. So yeah, just really not enough for Miami's role players. And meanwhile, Denver kind of had a new hero every game. Exactly. Not named Jokic or Murray. And then their height, like you alluded to earlier, also helped them a lot, especially because when you look at the points in the paint battle, Denver won that by a landslide. Essentially, every single game they played this entire series, they were just out-rebounding them, out-hustling them. They were grabbing all the 50-50 balls. They were Their grit just showed a lot more, particularly when you look at Aaron Gordon, because he essentially plays that role where he's their power forward slash center, especially when Jokic is not on the floor. He runs the five. So he's a huge reason why they were winning. That's why I was surprised that Spolstra stuck with Vincent because Aaron Gordon was literally hunting him down on most possessions. He had the ball. I remember there was a play where um, MPJ passed the ball, which never happens, right? So that in itself is a miracle. And then he got it to Aaron Gordon. And it looks like Mike Malone told the team every time MPJ passes the ball, he's going to cut because the Miami Heat weren't really expecting that because he usually just camps out by the three-point line. So I guess they agreed on this play where if MPJ passes the ball, then he would immediately immediately go and try to cut back door to try to get an easy bucket. 
So they were going to run that play once, but Aaron Gordon actually saw Vincent guarding him. So he waved the maximum player MPJ off and went to work against Vincent. And I'm pretty sure he scored every single time when he, he was being guarded by Vincent. And to take it a step further, I'm pretty sure Vincent also fouled him most of the times he was guarding him and gave him an and one. So instead of just trying to like get him get his two, he pretty much fouled him and made him get three points most of the possessions that he was guarding him. And if you look at the detailed analytics, I'm pretty sure uh, Aaron Gordon was really, really high in terms of the points per possession metric. Um, for people who don't know, a baseline of being really good for points per possession is essentially anything over 1.1. And I'm pretty sure if you look at it, Aaron Gordon had upwards of 1.5, 1.6 points per possession every time he had the ball, especially against smaller Miami guards. So he was their unsung hero or dark horse or X Factor, whatever you'd like to refer it to. And I was essentially a little put off when they chose to interview Michael Porter Jr. when they won the whole thing rather than Aaron Gordon as their third best player because I believe that he was 100% way better than MPJ and undoubtedly their third best player throughout this entire series. I 100% agree. I think, uh, I think I may have alluded to this in the last episode, but I feel like Aaron Gordon was almost on a revenge tour against Dwayne Wade for what happened in the dunk contest. What was it in 2019 or 2020 dunked over taco fall and still didn't get that win. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, as much as something like the dunk contest doesn't matter. I feel like Aaron Gordon is the type of guy who acknowledges the noise, but then just goes to work and yeah, he, he was great on the magic all those years and then came to Denver and, you know, as you said, ended up being the third best player overall. Yeah, he's a possibly senior, possibly but... on the court at all, given how Miami played. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and obviously had that crazy game four. Yeah, it's a good transition to talk about it. Honestly, before we get into the nitty gritty with game four, I just want to outline how smart the Denver front office is because they picked out and they scouted a player that was drafted. Um, I'm pretty sure. He's the top draft pick on the entire Denver squad. So that says a lot because coming into the league, he had massive expectations of being the number one option and carrying a franchise on his back. Whereas Denver kind of found the perfect role for him to be that reserve third, fourth best player option and to be their like glue guy where he's essentially always uh, trying to get them second chance opportunities, being a beast on the glass and things along that nature. So his role on the Denver Nuggets basically let him shine that much more because he didn't have the pressure of having to outperform everyone else on his squad. But at the same time, he could play within his limits and not uh, exceed his comfort zone where he's not comfortable. So examples of that would be he's not a really good three-point shooter. I'm pretty sure he's the worst uh, three-point shooter on the Denver Nuggets starting lineup. And Mm -hmm. that's why Miami would leave him open a lot. And um, I, I'm pretty sure you can quote me on this. He shot the best from three from the entire Denver Nuggets squad throughout this entire final series because of that confidence and that swag he was playing with because of how comfortable he felt on the floor it, but beside his teammates. Because once you have a five in Jokic, who's such a comfortable facilitator and is also a good shooter when left open, 
he has the comf- comfortability and the openness to play within his means, which sometimes allows him to play even better and exceed his own expectations. I remember that one play, he was being guarded by Caleb Martin, I think. He just jab-stepped him into a three that swished into the net. And you could see the disappointment on the Miami Heat team squad because that's essentially, according to their game plan, the shot they're willing to give the Denver Nuggets, and even that failed them. Yeah, and I think the other thing about Aaron Gordon, too, along with his unwavering confidence, which really did carry him, especially in Game 4, but in the series in general, I think he played quite well, even if he was a bit quiet on the shooting side, such as like Game 5. I think he was always finding a way to contribute, and I also like Aaron Gordon's mentality insofar as, like, as you mentioned, he's the top overall like draft, draft pick that's currently on the Denver Nuggets, which... You know, again, as you said, Denver front office is doing a really good job with those draft picks. Um, and, and you don't get a ridiculous number of them in the NBA. I mean, there's only two rounds. It's much it's much less than other uh, North American sports leagues. Yeah. And, you know, Aaron Gordon, you know, could have he could have said, you know, I want to be the number one option. I want to be that guy. I want to be him. But he instead said, OK you know, I'm comfortable with finding a role that allows me to play to my advantages, gives me opportunities to contribute, but also, you know, now in this case, gives me the opportunity to win an NBA title, which, I mean, that that's a brag no matter what player you are once you have a ring. Absolutely. His strength you know, that, that was flourished. Number, that exceeds being the number one guy on a mediocre team by you know, miles and miles and miles. Yeah, Shaq so, doesn't uh, fail to remind Chuck every time if you watch the NBA postgame show on TNT. It's like four <laughs> rings, four rings, four rings, and Chuck was the first best player on his team. So it definitely exceeds being, the even if you weren't like a Shaq on a winning team, uh, just winning a championship is way better than being the go-to guy who never won for sure. Exactly. And even if you mostly ride the bench, like, if you're contributing something, you know, let alone being the third best guy on the court, like, yeah, winning, winning an NBA title is a huge flex. And like, I, I'm, I'm just really happy for Aaron Gordon in this case. I always thought he, Absolutely. I always loved his confidence. He, he was never like, uh, I never felt like he, he had an ego though. Like, or like that he was like, you know, braggadocious or anything like that. Like, I think he was just kind of a quiet, like hard worker. Yeah, super calm, collected, for sure. So I'm really happy for him. And I mean, my God, game four, he was. Yeah, perfect pivot. On a roll, roll, ended up shooting 11 for 15 from the field, three for four from three. And as you mentioned, he's 27 points. And just like, that's such efficient shooting. And again, like Miami thought if they let him take those shots, especially those threes, you know, that, that, it would work to their advantage because he'd miss them. And now, I mean, he only took four in, in that game four and he made three of them. Three of them, yeah. Little did they know he would make the most threes on the entire Denver Nuggets squad while taking the least amount. Exactly. And as we'll talk about a bit later in the episode when we get to game five, that that proved to be very invaluable and almost a margin of the series just because Denver as a team actually wasn't shooting that well from three. 
No, so yeah. So you kind of needed no. kind of needed someone else who isn't a high volume three point shooter to step up, you know, step outside their comfort zone. And Aaron Gordon, Aaron Gordon answered the call. Yeah, absolutely. You also had Jimmy Buckets contributing quite well in game uh, four. He had that crazy buzzer beating three at the end of the first quarter when mm-hmm. uh, KCP tried to swipe the ball away from him, but ended up getting called for the foul. So Lowry took it out of bounds and then gave Jimmy that wonderful pass. I feel like Lowry is one of the best inbounders in the league. It's a very overlooked skill to have, but I'm sure Boston fans would uh, remember why Lowry is a good inbounder because of the 2020 playoffs where uh, we essentially gave ourselves life when Boston was up 2-0. And then uh, we became 2-1 just because of that shot where I quote, I don't shoot to miss OG Ananobi. That's besides the point. Um, Lowry, what a, what a, that was a goaded, that was a goaded shot though. Broke yeah. my heart as a Celtics fan, but OG and point five seconds on the clock, yeah. man. It was it was a You're, literal half second. The details, I love it. <laughs> and uh, you know, OG and Nobi is a dog. Yeah, yeah. Steals leader from this past season, but yeah, yeah. it's a bit of a tangent. I want yeah, to talk no, about what uh, one other guy on the court from game four it's a and good I, analogy I I... though to talk about the off-season rumors that many teams just as toronto will be having so be sure to tune in for future episodes across the summer covering such storylines but yeah go ahead yes i want to talk about yeah i, I sent you a semi-hot take by text on uh might have been yesterday actually or no maybe it was during game five where i said how can Bam Adebayo simultaneously be the best player and worst player on the court? Yeah, the and eight field goal, seven turnovers. Yeah, I was just about. To, I was just about to say that Bam pulled the Jalen Brown. Make, <laughs> make, just about how many field how many field goals did he make? Ah, he eight. made eight field goals, so only seven turnovers. So yeah. slightly slightly better, but that's kind of the thing about Bam is. He lost he them the gets, game, though. He lost them the game with the late game turnovers, the fourth quarter one specifically. Yeah, and the thing with Bam, too, is, you know, he should be the guy that gets you a lot of easy points in the paint, you know, grabs a lot of boards, which he does grab a lot of boards in this game. Especially for his size. 11 of them. Exactly. And, but the thing with Bam is, yeah, he just misses a lot of easy sh- shots, as we'll talk about in game for game five, he was he literally not just smoked some bunnies and floaters, but like flat out airballed them, you know, and then had just some really ghastly turnovers. Mm-hmm. Um, in a game where, yeah, I mean, Miami, <laughs> he had half of Miami's 14 turnovers. That's crazy. And Miami is not really a turnover prone team because of the way Jimmy Butler plays. So mm-hmm. them having a yeah. lot of turnovers and more than Denver in this case is very rare. So yeah. I feel like the other thing too is you know, as we'll get to with Jimmy Butler. I thought Jimmy Butler was finding or he was pretty good in game four, but I felt like overall in the series, he just wasn't, you know. Not himself. like him and Timothy buckets type yeah, type material. Absolutely, I agree. You know, thinking you. about like the Milwaukee series because he ended up averaging only twenty one point six points per game, six point four assists, and four point six rebounds. Yeah, you know, don't want to 
do too much player comparison, especially of previous years, but yeah, last those were very similar stats to what Tatum put up in the finals last year. And yeah, I would definitely say, although Tatum theoretically is a higher ceiling, you know, definitely got a lot more criticism for his performance, but yeah, you really needed Jimmy Butler to be Hemi buckets type mm-hmm. of stuff, you know, putting up 40 plus points, you know, making, he did make that crazy buzzer beater at the end of game one and, or quarter geez, one game one, game four, quarter one, game four. Um, and even in a uh, game five, which the heat ultimately lost, Jimmy had some pretty clutch, uh, Threes Late game in the fourth buckets, quarter. 13 points in two minutes. And the last three a... points were controversial. We're going to get into that. But yeah, I, I, I even think that shouldn't have been a bit of up to the floor when I realized that that was a foul on Butler. Or that was a foul on Gordon. So that was. And I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that yeah, later. We'll that get there. We'll get there when we get there. Sequence. Yeah. Yeah, um, but no, going back to like the game four overall performance, honestly, it was Miami's game to lose. You had the Nuggets come out super flat. They only shot 28% from the field in the first quarter. And then Aaron Gordon, like we alluded to earlier, he was their savior. He was six for six in the second half. He, Like we said, he hit three for four out of his threes. And then you had Lowry kind of come out to pick up the pace of the game like he usually does for the Heat. He had 13 points in the first 13 minutes off the bench. He also had uh, four assists in the first half. But he actually also ended the game with those very 13 points, so he didn't score all after that. But the most important thing is not your 37-year-old backup point guard not scoring in the second half. It's your starting backcourt combined shooting 0 for 6 in the first half and then your shooting guard, your starting shooting guard, Struess, finishing the game for O for whatever. He was an O for again in the NBA Finals for the second time in a row. And then you also had Gary Vincent, who only had one field goal, who which was that bank shot layup off the glass. He pretty much just forgot how to shoot from three. He's O for four from three in this game. So you just can't have your starting backcourt go that badly and then almost still have won the game. Honestly, I think if any of Miami's players played like they did in Boston, we would be having a game six easily, potentially a game seven. But even though they disappeared, they still took it to game five because they still won on the road. And then even though this final game score doesn't look like it was close, 108-95, That's it's important to take into account that Miami and Denver both finished the fourth quarter with 22 points each, but Miami actually started the fourth quarter shooting super well. They were blistering hot. They got out to a very, very far lead in the fourth, but they ended up finishing it the same as Denver did. So you had them start the fourth on an 8-0 run. They were like, he had all the momentum, but then after the Mike Malone timeout, you had Bam with his late game turnovers, and then you had them shooting horrible from three. They couldn't make a bucket at all, so they just ended up losing the game, even though everybody thought out they would come out with that fiery fourth quarter they always do. They came out with a really solid start, but then unfortunately, they just became cold. Bam kept turning the ball over. 
You had Bruce Brown going for 21. It was just like not Miami's game at all. Especially and the, the thing is for this game, Jamal Murray was under 30% from the field. He was five for 17 in this game. So this was, you know, game. This was kind of the Bruce Brown game besides Aaron Gordon. I mean, because Bruce Brown went eight for 11 from the field, two for three from three. So he wasn't like shooting at ridiculously high volume. He just, he made the shots he needed to. You know, I, I thought he was always a pretty good role player when he was on the, uh, on the nets. Yeah. Um, and it's translated really well for him as a nugget and also grabbed, you know, four boards, had a couple assists, had a pretty big steal too, which I can't recall when in the game that steal was, but you, you know, you, it's the thing with Denver, whenever, you know, one of the stars wasn't having the game they wanted, you, they could rely on a role player to step up, step to the plate and get it done. And along with Aaron Gordon, you know, having a magical night, you know, again, 11 for 15 from the field, crazy efficient shooting, you know, Bruce Brown also really stepped up. And I think that was also the difference is, you know, as you mentioned, Struess was 0 for again, he was 0 for 4 from the field, 0 for 3 from 3. So he didn't even take that many shots, but, you know, just didn't get a lot of looks. I thought in general, Denver's defense you know, we talk about not being a top 10 defense, but unlike the Celtics, they made a point to make life hard for the role players, you know, give them tougher looks, sort of force them to win the game. Um, and because ultimately, you know, Bam was losing them the game, basically. Yeah, and Jimmy, sure. again, had a pretty good game, but wasn't doing enough to get them over the hump when yeah. the rest of the team wasn't helping him out. Yeah. So... But yeah, no, I was essentially saying how Miami was always one step behind, especially when it came to Spolstra's X and O's against Mike Malone, right? Because going back to the rebounding differential, Miami actually won the board battle in game four. They had 37 as opposed to Denver's 34. But then we failed to mention how Jokic was pretty much in foul trouble for most the majority of the fourth quarter. And then that was Miami's chance to pretty much just break stride and get ahead and then steal that game back so they could go back to Denver tied up. But then the unsung hero of the Denver Nuggets, Aaron Gordon, held down the paint. He he owned Bam for the rest of the fourth. He held down the paint so badly that Bam kept getting turnovers because he was looking to pass rather than be aggressive late game in the fourth. And then that goes back to Miami's game plan, adjusting to how Denver played back in game three so they were one step behind they got they won the boarding the boards battle but then when you look at how they continuously wanted to blitz jamal murray he adjusted mid-game and he just went all out he got 12 assists which is the uh, highest assists total he's had this entire series so he just defaulted back to being a playmaker rather than a scorer sure he took 17 shot attempts but Miami did a good job of limiting his attempts. And then, moreover, they just prevented him from scoring, right? They were always blitzing him. They continuously sent a double team. That's why Joker had a record high three-point attempts in this series in that game. He tried seven threes, and he only made three. 
But at the same time, that tells you how all of the attention was directed towards Murray because of how they played in game three. And then I honestly expected a little bit better from Spolstra adjustment wise, because I thought he would be able to adjust on the fly to how Denver was playing that game in real time. But then unfortunately, like we saw a late game in the fourth, they had multiple chances when they cut it down to five with Joker on the bench. But then AG held the paint for them really, really well. And then Bam's late game decision making was questionable to say the least. He had multiple bad pull up attempts from the mid range when shooters like Duncan Robinson were wide open behind him, which led to Mm -hmm. Denver getting the fast break buckets and ultimately Bruce Brown just choosing to pull up from three and chuck him up like he doesn't even care because they were that far ahead. That point differential just kept on climbing. You had Miami start the quarter 8-0, to zero, and then they both ended up 22 points each with the entire fourth quarter in the books. So that tells you how Miami kind of fumbled the bag late in the fourth quarter and failed to adjust to Denver's updated game plan where Murray was the head of the snake. So they did all their best to stop them. And little did they know they had Aaron Gordon going for a series high 27 game high points. And then also Bruce Brown with his late game heroic threes, putting him north of the 20 point mark with 21 to end that game. Yeah, I think the other thing for Miami, too, is Denver was basically 50 percent both from the field and from three. And in addition, they limited the turnovers in this game. As we talked about, they had 13 in game three, but only six in game four. And Murray had zero. So Murray also, you know, he may, might not have made as many shots. You know, as you mentioned, he was being double teamed constantly, but he held on to the ball, didn't have any bad turnovers. And the thing for Miami is, you know, if you're going to shoot 32% from three, like it's great that you won the rebound battle 37 to 34, but you can't be turning the ball over almost twice as much, more than twice as much as your opponent, because that's just not a winning formula. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, guys like Duncan Robinson, role players that you really needed to get going, you know, give them some shot opportunities, hope they make it. That just didn't happen. As you mentioned, Bam took some very ill-advised mid-range jumpers I think had a couple of turnovers as well just really really poor adjustments for Miami and I think generally inferior basketball was played on their part and you know the running theme I feel like for games three through five is Denver had someone different you know stepping up each and every game whereas Miami didn't have that again Jimmy did what he could he was Good, not great, I would say, you know, from like a basketball fan standpoint. Um, but I again, he's not the reason that they lost per se, you know. But Bam, you know, again, really made some poor decisions, especially late in, in games three through five, and then just the role players weren't showing up. So, all yeah. around, all around. Um... A cool little stat for you is Murray actually set the record for the most assists in a finals game with no turnovers. So that tells you how well he took care of the ball when he was continuously being blitzed by one of the best defensive teams in the entire postseason. Their game plan was to go out and shut him down. And when you blitz someone, you're 
gonna come out with a few turnovers from them that's like how blitzing works you try to essentially constrict their space on the court where they don't have any other options at least forcing a jump ball which if lost counts as a turnover and then to say that he had 12 dimes with no turnovers just shows you how much of a superstar caliber player he actually is and I, I think it's safe to say that he's the best superstar player ever with no all-star selections and his emotion showed that how tough of a um, like a rehab process he had to go through to get to the point that he was at and how close his uh, group is to him because they chose to stick by his side like we talked about earlier when Malone told him and assured him that he would be better when he caught him crying on the bus and then just going back to how Bam had more turnovers than the entire Denver Nuggets squad that goes back to what I was saying earlier about how Miami was always one step behind and failed to adjust in real time, which essentially tells you and conveys how Denver essentially took over Miami's style of play and game plan from them. Miami is known to be that hustle team who always gets more steals, who's always getting their 50-50 balls, second chance opportunities. But when you look at the steal totals this game, Denver had 11 and Miami only had two. And the Joker oh. contributed to a fair amount of steals that well. I remember he had that one steal against Kyle Lowry that led to a fast break bucket. The Joker by himself had three steals and three blocks, which kind of sums up the entirety of that game. Uh, Denver had 17 points off turnovers, whereas Miami had eight. And that might not sound like a huge differential, but it is when it comes late in the fourth quarter when Miami was trying to make the run to get back in the game. So that tells you how Denver essentially stripped away that game from Miami and then took over their game plan, or shall I say their style of play across the entire playoffs so far with the role players showing up with their gritty attitude approaching each game. I think Miami just ran out of gas that far into the postseason. No, I agree. I maybe one final parting thought, which I guess could be roped into game five, but that that again, that Jamal Murray crying on the bus damage good story. Like, I don't know as a basketball fan how that doesn't give you goosebumps, especially now that they won the chip. You know, the job was done. I think that shows you. I think that also shows you in the NBA why it's so important to like get a good core and just believe in them and keep it, working yeah. at it until you, you know, until you, uh, until you get the job done, you know, as we'll talk about in off season episodes, this is relevant, frankly, for my Celtics too. you know, having come up short, but yeah, I, I think the nuggets provide some very valuable lessons for the league uh, yeah, by winning the chip this year. Um, one I think one this could be finals. exactly. And I think, one one attempt of one exactly. They they make it for the first time and they get it done. And, and I think Jimmy this is Butler a good... alone is over too, so that shows you that. And I think this is also a good segue into game five where the Denver Nuggets got the job done. They closed it out. They were back in Denver. So obviously meant a lot to their fans to potentially win that home game. Um you know, obviously Nuggets fans had never seen their team win a title on their home floor, let alone 
you know, ever seen them in the NBA finals. So I think it was a really cool experience for them. And yeah, let, let's get into, into this game five. Cause Oh boy, it was interesting. Yeah. And... Honestly, I think it was just like game four, man. It was Miami's game to lose, right? Like you came out in the first quarter, you saw how they started the game out two for 14 and you just thought it was going to be an easy game on the Denver Nuggets side. But Miami just, that was good coaching by Spolstra. He never let them go up by more than five without calling a timeout to reset the pace. So I feel like he came through that way, but it was a little bit tad too late, unfortunately. Um, Like I said, Miami came out playing horribly, but then they actually managed to take the lead after their 0 for 10 start. They started 2 for 4. But then right after that, they missed 10 straight field goals, which is absolutely insane. It opened the road for Denver. They went on their own 10-0 run with wide open dunks because of Miami turnovers and misses without rebounds. And then you had a very controversial call with about four minutes and 55 seconds remaining in the first quarter where that was a blocking foul called on Lowry. I've never seen a man that's known for taking charges with a fat behind, so laid down and stuck to the ground when MPJ ran into him straight like a tank, and it was called an offensive foul. Or not called an offensive foul, it was called a blocking foul on Lowry. I've never seen a call that was Mm -hmm. so black and white before. Even the announcers, everybody in the entire arena. It might have been a worse call than the Jimmy Butler call late game because of how sure I was of it being a uh, offensive foul on MPJ, but well, then they even, gave him the two shots. Even the announcers were like, oh, that's going to be an offensive foul on MPJ. And then they're like, wait, 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 you're telling me it's not an offensive or it's not an offensive foul on MPJ. Kyle Lowry, the grout did not get the charge, which as you said is, one of his specialties like yeah. he is the guy that'll just stand in there and sacrifice his body which i think that's why miami brought in kyle lowry you know yeah, he doesn't NBA really have himself. to sacrifice much with the way his backside is built if you know what i'm talking about <laughs> man's got the cakes <laughs> but yeah um jimmy butler Full played horribly for the first like 42 minutes you know He just could not buy a bucket. He was stuck at like eight points for the longest time. Pretty sure he was around like two for 13 at one point or even worse. And then he had the best run known to man in the last two minutes. It kind of gave you um, those uh, memories of how he played in game six against Boston, where he had a horrible game, but then he had those clutch free throws at the end. And unfortunately, it seems like the fact of the matter is that whenever Jimmy Butler has a bad game and comes through in the last uh, several minutes or the last final minutes of any game, the Heat are prone and just destined to lose that game because of the trends we've seen across these finals. You had him shooting horribly. He was two for eight in the first half. And then Bam was playing semi-decent. He was shooting 61% halfway into the second half. He was 8 for 13, but he ended the game. He was 8 for 13 halfway through the second half, right in the third quarter. He ended the game 9 for 20. He had 20 shot attempts and he had 20 points. As a center, I'm sorry, that's just simply not acceptable. You're shooting under 50% as a center. I know you're being guarded by 
Jokic and Gordon, but you're a whole center. You're meant to have games where you're shooting at least over 50, 55%. We have mid-range assassins like DeMar DeRozan, KD, Devin Booker. The list keeps on going. Who shoot over 55% on pull-up jumpers? And then you're a whole center, a whole 6'9 center with a massive wingspan that's shooting under 50%. You need 20 shot attempts to put up 20 points in the finals. Like, I'm sorry, that just that's just not going to cut it, especially with how you played last game. And that's what I was saying earlier. I met, I alluded to the, uh, the, I think it was in the first quarter, it might have been early in the second quarter, where Bam actually had, like, it was just a simple floater, should have easily gone in, but he not only missed it, like, it airballed and went out of bounds. Like, that was just... I, I was watching live and I'm just like, like, how in the world does he not only miss that, but he misses literally everything. And that's kind of what I was saying. Like Bam, Bam also got some really good buckets early in the game. You know, had a great start to the game, although finished one for seven in the second half. But Horrible. That, that's kind of, that's kind of Bam's problem. You just couldn't get enough out of him consistently not making enough of those simple shots that would really keep Miami in the game, especially when those role players who take those, those jumpers from the three point range, you know, Vincent or Martin or Struess just aren't making their shots. And, you know, there was Don't no sign of talk about no, Gary Vincent right now, man. He was one for 11 and zero for seven from three over the last six quarters. Like that's just not acceptable from your starting point guard. I don't care if you're undrafted I don't care how you shot in series prior to this. If you're playing that badly, you should not be playing over 20 minutes in that finals game. I know he was benched late on, but it's not like Kyle Lowry played any better. Mm -hmm. He was four for 13. He had that block getting stuffed late in the fourth when they were trying to get their comeback. You saw there was like about a five minute span in the fourth quarter where simply nobody scored. If Miami scored a bucket, it would have cut it to within three or two points. But then the the bucket after like a five minute drought in the fourth quarter was Jamal Murray telling his team to calm down. And then the classic pick and roll with him and Jokic, he just pulls up right on the elbow from the midi and it hits nothing but net, causes uh, Spolster to call a timeout. And that was pretty much the dagger in my opinion. Yeah, the other thing with Vincent, along with him be completely being unable to shoot, he kept getting blown by on those pick and rolls. And, you know, if he wasn't getting blown by, he was getting himself into foul trouble really on early on into games, especially games three and four. Um, it was kind of interesting, too, in in some in one sense, uh, you know, Miami didn't play well, but they also blew a golden opportunity, not, not just to not be eliminated, but Denver. I believe was one for 15 from three at halftime was at one point one for 17 from three, like yeah, probably not buy a, a third of the way you. through the third quarter. Um, and they finished the game five for 28. Like they were shot 18% from three. The problem is Miami. Nine they were 34% from the field, you know, nine for 35 from three was like 26%. You know, they really just could not shoot in this series especially after got game out rebounded 57 to 44 and it was that close of a game so that just raises so many what ifs right what if they made a couple of more threes what if they grabbed a couple of more rebounds 
they didn't really have that many problems when it came to turnovers because Denver had way more. It was a 14 to 8 differential in the turnovers. But when you look at the three-point shooting, especially when Denver could not buy a bucket from deep, it was Miami's game to lose. And then when Butler hit that 13-point stretch in two minutes, you had him shooting the free throws that cut it to one. And then they could not buy a bucket after that. You had KCP with his dagger three. And then you just had the Denver Nuggets add on to that damage right after then. And then Miami just could not recover after that. And once again, this was a game where Miami actually won the turnover bell. Jokic mm-hmm. and Murray combined for 10 turnovers. Murray had six himself. And the Heat just couldn't capitalize on it. Off the top of my head, I don't know what the points off turnovers differential was for this game, but it's pretty I much like the Miami. same. Um, Miami had 10, Denver had 12, so not that much. So, I mean, that tells you that Denver really took advantage on the turnovers. Yeah, because the they skills had, they had, had off Miami. Yeah. Whereas Miami, they really weren't capitalizing on the opportunities. There were, you know, they would either turn the ball back over themselves or, you know, they would miss a pull up three or, you know, they would even miss some of those simple shots inside the paint. Like they really just had very little going for them in the game. And then when you have more shot attempts in the fourth quarter than Denver being down, they had 21 shot attempts in the fourth quarter and they only made five out of 21 shots in the entire fourth quarter on the brink of elimination in the NBA finals. That's 23%. Denver had less shot attempts than them. They had only 18 shots and they made half. Mm -hmm. They made nine out of 18 shots. I'm sorry, but that's just not going to win you a game on the road in the NBA Finals on the brink of elimination when Jimmy Butler by himself had almost half of your entire made field goals in a 20-second span back-to-back on three-pointers. That's just simply not going to cut it. I know both teams had a drought in the middle of the fourth, but Denver still managed to find a way to end the fourth shooting 50%. Even though they couldn't buy a bucket from three, they still shot 50%. They got good shots. They got the ball to guys they trusted, and they still ended up winning that quarter by far. Whereas if you look at Miami, they fumbled the bag heavily. They shot less than 25%, less than a quarter from the field in the entirety of the fourth quarter. They only finished it with 18 points, which 13 came from Jimmy by himself. So it's just not going to win you the game. That We talked about it earlier. Jimmy did not show up like he did, but at least he still did show up late in the game whereas everybody else just simply vanished they kept rushing shots they couldn't get the ball to someone they wanted in their spot they just kept trying to like score fast which ended up them rushing every single possession when Jamal Murray tried to slow it down for his team he got a midi that swished and then that just kept building on Denver's lead You had Jimmy try to go for the heroics in the late game situation, which uh, I guess we can talk about the call right now, if you want, against Aaron Gordon. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, that must have been a shot to the nuts if you were Denver. And in Aaron Gordon's case, it quite literally was. Uh, (laughs) I, off the top of my head, don't remember how late in the fourth quarter it was, if you maybe happen to remember, Fawad, but 
basically, yeah, Jimmy took a attempted a three and, you know, he clearly kicked out his legs, you know, wasn't a scenario where Aaron Gordon like landed in his, uh, or, or went into his landing space. Um, you know, Jimmy clearly kicked out and, uh, it was Aaron Gordon's groin that ended up taking the brunt of the impact on that. And <laughs> they ultimately gave Jimmy three free throws off that. They called it a three point foul. Even after and the challenge, which was even after, very even after the challenge, which I didn't even expect that they'd have to use the challenge. I thought they were just going to like make a quick review, you know, forget where the league's offices are. I know the NFL is like New York, but Regardless, oh, I, I thought it would be like an expedited review and they wouldn't even have to use a coach's challenge. Like Mike Malone wouldn't have to light up the green light, but in this case he did. And yeah, his challenge was unsuccessful. It was pretty unbelievable, but it was definitely one of those plays where, you know, it was pretty, it was definitely a momentum swinging play, at least briefly. It's a caucus. Yeah, and, and Jimmy made his free throws, uh, all three of them, but it ultimately wasn't enough. And speaking of free throws, one other, along with Denver's bad three-point shooting, they also only went 13 for 23 from the free throw line. So they really weren't having a good game there either. And again, Miami couldn't capitalize on that, even though they made 14 of their 16 free throws. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it almost, it almost felt like between their three-point shooting and their free throw shooting that that Denver really... They they could have thrown that game away, but ultimately, I mean, they were, they, it was like they were trying to. To be honest, like yeah, they, really, really they did. shot horribly from three, horribly from the free throw line. They shot decent from the field, which Miami didn't, even though they had way more shot attempts. But I guess if you factor in the free throws, then they didn't really. But yeah, honestly, I just feel like every time Miami made an effort to get back in it, just like they did in game four, Denver just kept responding. And that is essentially what made them the championship team that they are. Exactly. And Jokic, you know, the way I feel like many NBA finals MVPs have, you know, they they closed out the series strong. You know, two years ago, Giannis had a 50 burger, you know, on his way to winning finals MVP. And this year, Jokic went five for six from the field in the fourth quarter, had 10 points, you know, really demonstrated to us why Crazy. why he won the MVP twice in a row yeah, in the preceding two years and why he was the clear winner of this year's Bill Russell NBA Finals MVP. Um, yeah, Joker's just built different, man. He really is. I don't know what else to say. Yeah, like, absolutely. Like, like and the thing is, Denver, even though they went five for twenty-eight from three for the game, they they only took five three-point attempts in the fourth quarter. They made two of them. Like that that's you know, it's only two made three, sure, but you know, that's forty percent technically. Yeah, out of five attempts, that's good. Especially perfectly it's perfectly fine. And you know, ultimately that was just it. Denver closed it out the way they were supposed to in spite of how they played earlier on in the game. But that's also what, what makes a championship team. It's their ability to overcome, Challenge. you know, hardship and, and other challenges. I mean, again, Jamal Murray, Jamal Murray's ACL tear, the recovery and the damage good story, you know, crying in the back of the bus with Mike Malone is a perfect example of that, you know, they're a team 
that faced plenty of adversity. I mean, I, I feel like with every championship team this happened with the Bucks, probably less so with the Warriors since they, you know, had already been a dynasty, but certainly with the Bucks. Um, you know, you had articles of, oh, you know, Giannis isn't the guy that's gonna win you your chip. You know, he's a fraud, he's you know, he's a choker. Yeah, I'm sure the Nuggets were, you know, they got a lot of very similar headlines. I actually read one article, I think it was from The Athletic, but I don't want to be quoted on that, mm-hmm. where it actually said, you know, the Nuggets should, you know, make some big moves and even Jokic should be on the table. And, you know, even after like a first round exit, that's no a very spicy take. And by spicy, yeah. I mean hot garbage. No, um, yeah, no. But, you know. That's that 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 those are the types of articles I'll end up on uh old takes exposed on Twitter, freezing cold <laughs> takes. But again, Jokic and Murray and Mike Malone too. I feel like a lot of people are doubting Mike Malone just because you know they made it to the conference finals, the Western Conference Finals in the bubble against the Lakers, but you know, Without lost Murray. in five games. They, did they not have Murray in the bubble? Oh no, they did. Western they did. Conference Finals, but the two years after that, they didn't have them in yep. the playoffs. Um, and yeah, they made. I think there were semi conference semifinals exit one year, and then last year they were a first round exit. First round. And... Yeah, and then just also like revisiting that last final game five performance, you had MPJ finally like sort of showing up. He had a double double. He was a beast on the glass. Usually Aaron Gordon kind of takes mm-hmm. that title without even trying, but he had 13 boards. He was seven for 17, which in context for all of the other shots and percentages that game was pretty well. He, I believe he shot out of the players that like took more than 10 shot attempts. He was the second best at 41%. And then you look at the Joker, who's absolutely by no means like the finals MVP, like you said, he had 28 and 16 Sure, he only had four assists, but we took Murray like just kind of like taking that true point guard role when he wasn't a scorer. And then he also made one out of his three threes, which when you compare to the entirety of the team shooting, the whole team only made five threes and they took 28 and Jokic had one of them only attempting three. So that shows you how efficient of a player he is. He ended the game shooting 75% from the field. And he was a team high plus minus at plus 12. So that shows you how deserving he is and how his game translates so well and how he makes everyone around him that much better while taking advantage of the opportunities he is presented himself. He didn't take the most shot attempts that game either. That was Michael Porter with 17. Jokic took six or 16. And MPJ made about like almost half of the shots that Jokic did. So Jokic had less shots and he made significantly more than MPJ did. That shows you how uh, how much of a true, efficient player he is and how his mind is simply always a couple of steps ahead when compared to every other player on the court. He's always thinking, he's always playing chess when everyone else is playing checkers as that famous saying goes, but he's literally always visualizing the plays that are happening ahead of him ahead of time. He's always 
pretty much making the decision of what he wants to do with the ball before he gets it. When the pass is on the way to him, he already sees Aaron Gordon cutting back door. So he doesn't even palm the ball because he's so big. He literally just lets the ball slide off his hand onto Michael Porter's dunking pocket or like MPJ's shooting pocket. He's always a master of planning when it comes to that basketball phenomenon that he runs in his head. Whereas all the other players kind of just think as they go. He's more of a LeBron James when it comes to thinking about the basketball plays that are happening. He takes the coach's words and make them come to life in front of him as we all witness his greatness on the biggest stage. Yeah. And speaking of his greatness on the biggest stage, there was a single person who led the NBA during the playoffs in points, rebounds, and assists. And this is overall not per game, but still, that man would be none other than Nikola Jokic. And as I mentioned, it's the first time in NBA history where a single player has led in all three categories, but that just keeps shows the you coming. Well- what are the stats after that? He just keeps breaking records. Exactly. And it just shows you how versatile he is. You know, why, why he is the NBA finals MVP, you know, had big blocks and steals in games four and five, you know, can get a triple double when he needs to, you know, he can be a facilitator. He can, he can be a score if he needs to. I mean, obviously Denver lost game two by three points, but Jokic put up 41. He can score if they need him to. Crazy. And speaking of scoring, I mean, Jokic and Murray both averaged 25, five and five. First duo in, in NBA playoffs finals, history. Or excuse me, in the playoffs. And they're the fir- first duo to ever do it, which is very impressive. But it's also why even though Jokic is very much the deserving finals MVP for this year. You know, we should not overlook Jamal Murray. And again, he's one of my favorite non-Celtics players in the league. The fact that we're having the conversation as to even consider overlooking Murray shows you how good of a duo they actually are. And specifically how Jokic is on an entirely different echelon. You mentioned how he led the playoffs in every single stat. And then sure, you can use the argument that he played the most games. Okay. But then what what do you have to say for him being the lowest ever drafted player to win finals MVP and the first center in over 20 years since Shaq? Like every time someone thinks of a rebuttal to some stat about Jokic, like people can throw 20 more stats at them to shut them up. That's how great of a player he is. Exactly. Like there's... Pretty much almost nothing about Jokic's game you can criticize. Like, sure, he has bad games every once in a while, but he's such a well-rounded player. Like, he can play good defense. He can get buckets. He can grab boards. He can facilitate. He he really just can do it all. And I, I really do think he's one of the most impressive players we've seen in the league in quite some time. And it, it's really incredible to finally see him win his chip get get the ring he very much deserved and earned um and same thing for murray you know he hasn't gotten an all-star appearance which surprises me greatly honestly it's because of his injuries yeah for sure but even even like 20 like the 2019 2020 season there was was better guards in the west you had damian lillard you had stuff 
Yeah, he's always just been in a very crowded field, mm-hmm. especially out west. But the thing with Murray is he's always been a very hard worker. He's yeah. not like it's kind of the same thing as other guys on the team, like Aaron Gordon, as I talked about earlier. He's not like a bragger. He's not like a, oh, I'm him, look at me type of guy. He's the guy who will sit there quietly, keep working, and try to be the best teammate he can be. You know, as we talked about, he had that 34-10-10 stat line in game three, you know, could really be the facilitator when he needed to be. You know, he wouldn't just take shots because he could or because he thought he was a great shooter. You know, he was really always in it for the team and sort of that collective effort. Exactly. And, you know, also, Ganga, I give credit to Mike Malone for making those guys believe in the system and all buy into it. Um, You know, that offense was really that was just really fun to watch. You know, again, there was always someone, you know, everyone always felt like they were doing something on the court. You know, a lot of movement, you know, I would say pretty good shot selection, even though the nuggets did not shoot well from three in game five um, and other games, actually, they were, I think they were under 30% from three and two other games, at least in this series. But again, they were just such a well-rounded team and there was always someone stepping up. So, and just to take it a step further from the pure statistical and analysis standpoint, you have him being one of the more humble finals MVPs. You had his post game interview after they won it all, and he was just like, the first thing he did when that buzzer sounded was shake everyone on the Miami Heat's roster's hands. Like, you don't have competitors doing that, you have them kind of break into tears just like start yelling, start celebrating with their teammates. But the the Joker just realized that the job was done, as Kobe once said, and he just started showing his true sportsmanship. When he got interviewed, he said, I pay this trophy to my teams or my, my teammates and my fellow players. And then to take it a step further, when, the, when asked what he wanted to do, he simply said he wanted to go back home. He wanted to spend time with his family. He wanted to go horse racing back in Serbia. So it shows you how much of a genuine, humble guy he truly is. Basketball is might not be his top passion, but he is damn well good at it. And he shows that there's more to life than just basketball. He's a very, very confined family man. You had a lot of comments circulating all over social media showing how the true trophy was him carrying his daughter up on stage. He didn't really care much when being given the finals MVP, attributed it to his teammates. He cared more about the season being done, the job being finished, and him just wanting to go back and celebrate with his family. Whereas you have other players like a Joel Embiid, for example, who's going to cry his way to a regular season MVP when Jokic was almost... Um, destined to take that for a third time over him but little did we know he sat out he chose to sat out the last few games of the season was pretty much just automatically gave it um, made it go to towards Embiid and then even though he cried his way to it Jokic just said you can have that one I want the other one which is the finals MVP trophy and ultimately the, the Larry OB and the other thing too is when asked about the uh the parade in Denver you know yeah, because because I think uh, Jokic was like, uh, "What time's the parade?" And 
you know, reporter answered and he's just like, oh man, I, I want to go home. Yeah, I'll as he said, he, the team plane to Serbia right after. <laughs> exactly. He wants to go home, spend time with his, uh, his family, his kids, you know, the infamous Jokic brothers yep. on Twitter. Um, you know, and of course his horses, but <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, as you said, Jokic is just, it's just all around a great guy, really understands that basketball is a team sport and, He's a very selfless player too. And again, that's why the Nuggets won because him along with everyone else bought into their system and it paid dividends. And I, I couldn't be more happier for that squad. Yeah, big, yeah. Congr- big congrats to them. And big congrats to Denver fans who waited all those years for them to finally win an NBA title. So it was a great ending to what was an absolutely wild season, which yeah, I'm very excited to talk about the off season with you as well and I'm sure we'll have a lot more great content coming up soon for sure for sure and just to end off shout out to all miami fans you know nobody, nobody expected you guys to be here but you guys are the people's champs jimmy butler took you guys to a place further than ever imaginable i'm pretty sure if someone bet that the miami heat were gonna end up in the finals they would have cashed out heavy so shout out to Miami, shout out to Denver fans. Agreed. You guys deserve this. As a Celtic, as a Celtics fan, I I gotta say the same. Miami had an incredible playoff run. There's nothing to be disappointed about. You know, you guys got an absolute dog in Jimmy Butler, and you guys will be back next season. Teaser to the next episode: Damian Lillard to the Miami Heat. They'll be back. <laughs> oh my gosh, that would be crazy. All right, so we'll see everyone then. And thank you guys for listening. And this is the last episode for this season as we come to a close and wrap up the 2022-2023 NBA season.